Hello and welcome to the Air Force Starts Here podcast. I'm your host for this professional development podcast, Staff Sergeant Keith James from the AETC Public Affairs team. In this episode, we are discussing AETC's role in fighting through the COVID-19 pandemic with former 59th Medical Wing Commander Major General John J. DeGos. Major General DeGos and his team are being praised for leading the charge for fighting through COVID-19 across AETC. Take a listen to what Lieutenant General Brad Webb, commander of AETC, had to say about General DeGos' leadership during the 59th change of command. There's this little thing called COVID uh, that came upon us a little over a year ago, probably a year and you know, four or five months ago now. On top of all that the medical wing was responsible for, and JJ is responsible for leading during this time frame, this, I can tell you, will be the singular piece that resonates in my mind that occurred. Because uh, in those early days, we had uh, the Wuhan province, American citizens that were evacuated, a chunk of which came to Lackland, uh, followed right on the heels by the uh, Princess Cruise Liner, uh, American citizens as well. So we had a couple reps under our belt. But in those days, specifically, I think it was Friday the 13th of March, when the order was to shelter in place, was uh, for AET, let me just speak as the AETC commander for a moment, the defining moment for us right there. Because there was calls within this, within our service to stand down, take a knee, shelter in place. Uh, in fact, the other services, that was, that was where they cast their lot. J.J. DeGos was of the mindset that we got this, we got a plan. There was terminology that I'd never even heard before. I didn't know what a ROM was. You know, J.J. Brief, hey, we're in ROM. I'm like, great, what's a ROM? Uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, never heard of the term. And, and the point was, we, uh, we had stolen a march uh, on the pandemic probably by, I'm guessing, a week. It might have been less than that. But that was a game-changing week. J.J. rightfully correct, had our mindset focused. This was obviously BMT-focused, but it, it rolled into every aspect of Air Education Training Command. And Air Education Training Command uh, has, from that moment forward, been postured as the, kind of the leader in this fight through uh, COVID. Now, it wasn't without challenges. Uh, we've certainly had uh, the, the disease uh, present in our ranks or the epidemic uh, present in our, our ranks and such. But that mentality, I mean, I, you know, if you look at the charts of uh, Air Force readiness, without continuing to crank through 800 new trainees into the Air Force every week, especially when you don't have a stop loss, the readiness of the United States Air Force goes in the tank. And it goes in the tank in a hurry. You know, when I think of the 59th Medical Wing, uh, and, in fact, I, I said that. I'm not sure if I said it first, but I certainly picked up on it if I didn't say it first. When I visited Reed Clinic, for instance, uh, and saw that, hey, you got, this is the frontline infantry uh, on this war on COVID. You are the frontline infantry. And, in fact, y'all made that uh, tent uh, area with, the, like, the uh, little uh, reception area for tent and said, ladies and gentlemen, you're about to enter the front lines uh, on the war on uh, COVID right there. I go, that is absolutely right. And that kind of mentality... Uh, has served you all well. It has served basic training well. 
It has served Air Education and Training Command well. It served our service well. And frankly, it served our nation well. Uh, I'm really, really proud of you all uh, for the job that you've done during this. And of course, I'm talking like it's over. It's not over. It's far from over. This continues every day. Those efforts uh, are monumental. Those efforts really, you know, when you have a decider going, what are we going to do? Because, you know, the, the chiefs kind of said, I think we, we could probably shelter and ride this out. We didn't do that. We didn't do that because of you all. We didn't do that because of the leadership here on the stage. So that's, ladies and gentlemen, leadership. Uh, that's visionary leadership. That's trailblazing leadership. That's leadership that's built on teamwork. That's leadership that's built on innovation. Your boss is responsible for that. You all have carried that through. Uh, so for that, uh, I'm telling you, uh, JJ, you did a pretty good job in command. <laughs> How about a hand for a general to goes? So JJ's off for you know for his sins. He's going to go to DC now. You know he had he's been avoiding this DC uh, assignment like the plague. It's caught up to him. He's going to go be the deputy surgeon general up in DC. Uh, JJ, in all sincerity, thank you. Thank you for a job well done. Under General DeGosa's leadership, AETC was able to continue training during the height of the pandemic by adjusting as information on the virus became available. AETC's historian, Mr. Gary Boyd, spoke of General DeGosa on the modified training procedures put into place to ensure the health and safety of our force and mission readiness. Take a listen. Sir, I, I, I just wanted to say thank you for the, all of AATC because I, I, I've heard you from the start on this, and uh, we owe you a, a big debt of gratitude for uh, bringing in that professional public health perspective every day of this uh, operation. We have a great team here, and I think this is really, a, you know, a, a team story. First thing I want to ask you is... Uh, Preparations, uh, how ready were we for this scale of a pandemic? Uh, I know we were in the midst of manpower cuts and everything was kind of dire prior to the pandemic as far as, uh, you know, business as usual within AETC and JBSA. What, what is your uh, assessment of our state of readiness for the pandemic, supplies, testing, that kind of thing? Yeah, I, I, I'd say um, mix. You know, we, you know, at JBSA have a, uh, you know, a, a required, uh, in fact, it was just inspected by, the, you know, the, the Capstone UEI event, a disease containment plan or a DCP. Mm -hmm. And that really part of that is um, responding to a novel infection, whether it be flu or coronavirus. Um, and so, you know, I, I think... You know, we, we had tabletops. We partnered with San Antonio Metro Health District on points of distribution, uh, you know, how we would use the national strategic stockpile. So I, I would say that, uh, yep, we had a concept of operations for um, how to approach a pandemic. Um, we, you know, but, but we were challenged initially by adequate PPE at Bansy, we're you know we cover 50% of level one trauma in San Antonio, and so we we actually stopped all elective surgeries. So you know unless you had kind of an emergency thing, and, and pretty much the months of March and April at at Bansy were waiting for a giant New York-like surge that didn't materialize, and you know most of the that 
I mean, part of it was a little, maybe slightly too conservative, but the justification was largely based on inadequate PPE resupply. Overall, cooperation and planning was really quite good, um, and I think we, uh, you know, it's brand new disease, so evolving guidance, you know, and stuff in the media like, oh, you know, you're flip-flopping. Well, that's normal with science. You, you want to, like, when you get more information, you want to change things. And so uh, it, it took a little while before, you know, everybody was crystal clear that the, the benefits outweighed the risks. And, you know, they said a cloth face covering got you the vast majority of the benefit. And so, you know, you started to see private industry and people were making their own bandana things, et cetera. Oh, absolutely, and I really appreciate your uh, extending on that because I, I really feel like that was a key issue early on, and I thought one of the great things that you did originally and probably earlier than anyone else was focus the healthcare there at the 59th on the pandemic and on the emergent uh, diseases and the, the electives going away, what turned out to be an extremely important decision because you were able to save, uh, you know, ration PPE and it kept us in a position where we could maintain training. Now, uh, that's a long way around saying, uh, I know the general web had so much confidence in the big six and in the 59th in particular, that he felt like we could continue training even though it wasn't necessarily mandated and it was kind of an unknown risk given the PPE shortages. So my next question is this, did, do you feel like you had enough support and do you feel like the, the confidence and the risks that we took to keep the fighting through uh, uh, with the pipeline were uh, uh, basically a good risk to take, risk reward versus, uh, you know, uh, risk and, and maybe not <laughs> uh, sufficient reward? Yeah, no, so um, I, 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 was, I thought it was a risk worth taking. I mean, I, I, can, I can remember exactly where I was sitting in Martin Hall um, on Friday, March the 13th, when the Big Six was together, I think really the, the A1 side and General Tullis had kind of said, you know, we're, uh, we're going to fall really way, way behind in production. And, and I, I think that day was the first time I heard General Webb mention fighting through. And so, you know, he pointed, you know, asked me and, and, you know, I told him I thought we could fight through, that we had experience with outbreaks before, large outbreaks of adenovirus, you know, that hundreds of cases, several, you know, I mean, probably dozens of hospitalizations at Wilford Hall during basic training in the 2006-2007, and that, you know, we had learned from those lessons. And I, and I had been discussing this with our, you know, we have the senior infectious disease docs in the Air Force, um, and frankly in the Army, you know, at both at BAMC, uh, and so, I, you know, I broke down the risk for, I, I, the bottom line up front was I told him I thought that we could fight through. Um, I said it is possible that we'll have significant outbreaks that could get to the point where we would have to temporarily stop, um, and that in a large outbreak, even though a disease which is very mild in the demographic that comes to basic training, um, you know, you could have some severe cases, and in a rare instance, there could even be a death. Uh, but, you know, I told him 
that there is no better place in the country to take care of severe respiratory illness than San Antonio and Bamsi um, has the only organic ECMO, which is heart-lung bypass or extra corporeal membrane oxygenation um, in the Department of Defense. So if something, you know, went sideways with basic training that, you know, we had the capability here and we also had much more local testing capability than any other basic training site. No other place, you know, Army, Navy, or Marine Corps is, is at kind of major medical centers with major testing and care capability. They, they would have to typically send people out, send tests out. So for all those reasons, I, I said I thought we could fight through, and I told them that I thought there were three risks. The individual trainee risk, the demographics, that young people who had had, you know, a minimal screen to enter were not likely to be in the older, um, you know, healthcare compromise that were, you know, more likely to die from it. I said the mission risk, I said, was moderate because basic trainees could be. So we could mitigate that by starting off like half class sizes. So instead of, you know, 850, you know, 425, which would increase spacing, we can reconfigure the open bays, change the cots from, you know, uh, don't put two heads uh, back to back, basically, head to toe, so uh, at either side of the room, so it, it, it gave way more than six foot space. And then the third risk I said was brand risk. And the, uh, uh, if you go back to the last pandemic of this scope, which I said, you know, was the 1918 uh, pandemic flu, you know, that was called Spanish flu, but uh, really probably originated in the United States, was aided and abetted by the Army troop movements in surge to go to Europe for World War One. And I said, you know, we, we move a ton of people, um, you know, with uh, basic training and you know, there is a risk that if we don't do this really well, we, we could be viewed by either the city of San Antonio or the world because we send, send graduates uh, to tech training all over and tech training graduates all to first duty stations all over the world as actually, you know, worsening the pandemic, spreading it. And so I said, you know, that one, you know, we can mitigate that. There are ways to do it. Um, and so I could tell it kind of, you know, resonated with them. Well, well, well General, I, I, again, I want to I want to thank you. I think your name is going to go down with the Malcolm Groves and the David Grants and the Harry Armstrongs because you were here at a time where it was actually critical that you had that AATC experience and you used it and you actually led rather than, than waited to be led and uh, you helped the nation, not just AATC, get through this pandemic. So I'm... I'm in complete awe. Uh, a lot of the decisions that you might have made and thought were hasty turned out to be, I think, validated over time. And uh, I, I cannot thank you enough. And I, I, I know you're going to a place where we can maybe help adjust the country to what a post or near post COVID-19 environment looks like. And uh, I, I know you're going to continue to serve us well. General, that's all I have. Uh, and I want to thank you for your time so much.
You bet. And, and just, you know, again, I, I think the success is really starts with General Webb, you know, and, yeah. and given the opportunity because, you know, that it's not always that way. I mean, it, there's different leadership styles, et cetera, and, uh, um, you know, I think the creation of the big six, et cetera, um, you know, is really important. And, uh, and so, uh, again, you know, chance favors the prepared mind. And I, I had, I had a lot of good chance and, uh, <laughs> my, you know, my path, my path within AETC, understanding the mission, being on the AETC staff as a major between 2000 and 2002 when General Hornberg was the commander. Um, and, 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 you know, so many other assignments, you know, seven years at Wilford Hall originally, four at Keesler, two at the headquarters, and, you know, having the, the uh, you know, the, being the vice and then the commander here. But, I, again, I, I, I told General Goldstein that when he came, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to visit the first time, which was kind of when there was a little uproar in the city when, when one of the Wuhan AMSITs after release, you know, had this one hanging Chad positive, which was like a false positive, but was at the food court at the North Star Mall and the city was <laughs> in arms. And, uh, and so, you know, again, I, I, I stand by that, uh, you know, you, you set teams up for, for, for success and it really starts at the very top. And so clearly uh, General Webb did that for us. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time uh, to, uh, to, to add to the story a little bit. Uh, uh, take care. General DeGhost credits the ability to continue fighting through the pandemic to a strong culture of safety, strict implementation of CDC guidelines, and the mitigation of risks across our training pipelines. Recruits are tested as they arrived at basic military training, and those who test positive were isolated and given medical care if needed. Academics, drill, and physical training are modified, but continue to occur. In some cases, virtual learning is being used to ensure social distance is maintained. AETC continues to fight through COVID and continues to encourage airmen to get vaccinated to help to stop the spread of the virus. Thank you for the subscribe, stream, or download. As a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command and the AETC Command Team on social media. From our entire AETC Public Affairs team, I am Staff Sergeant Keith James, and I'll talk to you next time on The Air Force Starts Here.